0: Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. We're in Joshua chapter 10, continuing to look at the conquest of the southern arena. We saw last time the Defeat of the five kings and their kingdoms by Israel after they had uh, come out to help Gibeon and the Lord battling on behalf of the people of Israel, sending down hail from heaven on the Amorites as they fled halting the sun and the moon in the sky for about a day so that the people of Israel could continue to pursue uh, the, the kings of the Amorites and their people. We finished up last time by talking about the five kings hiding out in a cave at Machedah, Joshua rolling stones in front of the cave and leaving them there until the conquest was completed. Now in verses 22 and following, we find out, What Joshua will do to these five kings. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring these five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought these five kings out to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmut, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. And it came about... When they brought these kings out to Joshua, that Joshua called for the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came near and put their feet on their necks. Joshua then said to them, Do not fear or be dismayed, be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies. With whom you fight. So afterward, Joshua struck them and put them to death, and he hanged them on five trees, and they hung on the trees until evening. And it came about at sunset that Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves, and put large stones over the mouth of the cave to this very day. Now, what we have occurring in this passage is sort of, in one way, a conclusion to the southern campaign where the Israelites are very rapidly conquering these southern kingdoms, and then they're going to go out and battle against each of the cities that these kings represent. But, of course, we see Joshua putting stones in front of the cave to uh, keep the kings there until the rest of the conquest is accomplished. Then he brings everyone back to the cave, opens it up, brings the kings out. And these kings are specifically listed uh, who are defeated by Joshua at this time. And then what we have here is a very interesting uh, symbolic ceremony uh, that shows... Uh, in in symbolic form, the people of Israel conquering over these kings and their kingdoms, these rulers and their cities. So Joshua says to the chiefs of his people, the, the leaders of the men of war, we get from this that there were... Uh, people in higher positions in Joshua's military and some who were in lower positions. There was order, there was rank. Everyone reported to Joshua, but then they had some higher-ups who were in charge of uh, larger groups of Israelite people. He says to those higher-ups, come over here and put your feet on the necks, Of these kings. And so, what would occur is that these five kings were forced to lie down on the ground. Joshua and his commanders would go and would literally put their feet on top of the necks of these people. Now, they were not going to, you know, stomp them or anything here to try to crush their necks. This was a symbolic act. The point was that the Israelites had triumphed over these kings. And their kingdoms. And not only that, but the God of Israel, the Lord, had triumphed over these kings, their kingdoms, and their gods. And so Joshua says uh, very intentionally to his commanders don't fear, don't be dismayed, be strong and courageous. The Lord will do to all your enemies with whom you fight. The Lord's going to do this to everyone that we battle. And so this again became a sign for the people of Israel through their leadership that God was going to give them victory in the land of Canaan. There had been some times along the way, chapter 7 with the sin of Achan, uh, chapter 9 with the Uh, deceit of Gibeon, that I'm sure the people uh, had some uh, cause to stop and maybe doubt, are we really going to occupy the entirety of the land? Just as the Lord had used the miracle of the crossing of the Jordan River as a sign that Israel really would take possession of the entire land, now these five kings are serving as a sign. To the entire nation that God was accomplishing what he had promised to accomplish and that he would bring it to fulfillment, that he would complete his word, that his word would not fail, it would not fall along the way. He would accomplish what he had promised. And so this sign, their feet on the necks of these kings, I mean, a few days before, who would have thought it possible that in such rapid amount of time, the people of Israel would sweep through these strong cities of the southern arena, the cities that the spies back at the time of Moses were afraid to go against, the cities that they thought were surely all going to die if we go up and battle those. Now, Think about this again. At the time that Moses was sending spies, they had strong warriors who had come out of Egypt. They had men who uh, were experienced. But now, in the time of Joshua, it's their children. All of that older generation had died off. It's the children of that generation who are inheriting the land. It's their children who are seeing these signs. And so this sign serves to show that God, what God has promised will be accomplished. It is being accomplished, and it will be accomplished Uh, in the future. The wonderful thing about the Word of God for us as believers in Christ today is that there are many promises that we can see have that have already been fulfilled, Uh, promises relating to the first advent of Christ that we read about in the Old Testament. We can see them very clearly fulfilled in the life of Christ, the place of his birth, where he would be born, some of the things about what he would do and some of the miracles uh, that Christ would perform, Uh, predictions of his suffering and then entering into his glory. All of these uh, are uh, Prophecies, predictions that have taken place that we can look at and say, yes, God brought these to pass. He's faithful to His word. But that's not all we have, we also have promises of events yet to come in the future, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church and their deliverance from the coming day of God's wrath. Sometimes we call this the rapture. We have the promise of uh, being like the Lord Jesus, the resurrection of our physical bodies. We have the promise of entrance into his kingdom and reigning with him as kings and priests in that kingdom. So we have promise promises in God's word that we can look at that have already been fulfilled, and we have promises that have yet to be fulfilled, and we know the promises that have yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled based on the promises that God has already brought to pass. And the same is true in the time of Joshua here. Those five kings were assigned to the people of Israel That God had brought his word to pass. He had given them possession of the southern arena. So he was accomplishing his plan. He had accomplished a portion of his plan. And he would accomplish the rest of his plan based on his faithfulness to his word. So then we see uh, Joshua go out, he puts these rulers to death, hangs them on trees until evening, uh, according to what's written in Deuteronomy and the Law of Moses, And at sunset, Joshua takes them down from the trees, they put them back in the cave, and throw large stones over the mouth of the cave. So this cave itself becomes something of a memorial uh, in the land of Israel, after they occupy the land of Canaan, of what the Lord had done in conquering the southern arena very, very rapidly. Now, I want to step back for a moment here and once again quickly address the question that many uh, listeners might have, is God really just in allowing Israel to conquer uh, the people of Canaan at this point? We dealt with this question at Jericho, uh, a little bit at I again, and now just want to reiterate this again at this juncture because we've seen uh, the people of Israel conquer the southern Arena, and in the next chapter, we'll see them conquer the northern arena as well. God is just in enacting his judgment at any point in time that he deems fit because of the sinfulness and depravity of humankind. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death, the punishment that we deserve for our sin. What sin has earned us is to die. The fact that we remain alive and continue to breathe and live is a demonstration of God's mercy, that he does not instantly execute his wrath. His judgment against us demonstrates that God is merciful. But any time, God can choose to enact judgment, and he is perfectly right and sovereign to do that. And so now, here in the southern campaign, he is using Israel to enact judgment on the people of Canaan. The people of Canaan are not innocent The kings of the Amorites are wicked kings. They have gone against uh, the Lord's commands, what the Lord desires for them uh, in this world. And so God is enacting judgment on them, and his judgment is just. I'll have a little more to say about that as we enter into chapter 11 next time. Verse 28, now Joshua captured Macada on that day, struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed it, and every person who was in it, he left no survivor. Thus he did to the king of Makedah, just as he had done to the king of Jericho. And then following verse 28, we have a series of verses that follows this pattern of what was just talked about in Joshua's capturing and conquest of Macada. We see Joshua go on from Macada to Libna in verses 29 and 30, and then from Libna to Lachish in verses 31 and 32, and then uh, the king of Gezer comes and attacks, and Joshua defeats him, Then they move on to Eglon in verses 34 and 35, from Eglon to Hebron in verses 36 and 37, from Eglon to Debir in verses 38 and following, and then in verses 40 through 43, we have the summary statement at the end of chapter 10. Thus Joshua struck all the land the hill country, and the Negev. Negev is a Hebrew word that simply means the south. This is the southern arena. And the lowland, the Shvelah, and the slopes, and all their kings. He left no survivor, but he utterly destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kedesh Barnea, This is the same site where Moses originally sent the spies out from in the south, even as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings and their lands at one time because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. And that's the key. So Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. This was accomplished Because the Lord fought on behalf of Israel. The Lord was for Joshua and for Israel. The Lord is faithful to his promises, and he would continue to show his faithfulness in in the conquest of the northern arena that we'll look at next time. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.